Hello. What's up? How you doing? Hey. Hey there. How are you doing? It's Aiden Jones here on the microphones here. And you're listening to Sitting Under a Tree for Tuesday the 8th of March 2022. Sip of tea at the ready. I'm back in my house. Melbourne, we did it. Oh. Oh, what a joyful sip. Yes, man. I'm feeling good. I am feeling good. I'm at home. I just vacuumed the house. Well, the like the, the lounge and my bedroom. What are my plants? You know, my room's clean. And um, I'm just, I'm, I'm very happy to be home. Thank you to everyone in Adelaide who came out and saw the show. The last week sold so well. Um, it was a real, like, maybe it's time to reflect on the Adelaide Fringe run because when I, when I got there, I didn't really know how the show was going to go. I didn't know what the show was. I still feel like I don't quite know what the show is, but I've made so much progress on it. I'm confident that I can do it as like a show now. Um, the opening weekend was so tough with tickets and I was getting ready to have like, you know, $2,000 $2,000 gross ticket sales by the end of the run and I ended up with 5000 which is, that's like the upper limit of what I would have hoped for. That was like when I got there and started seeing the ticket sales come in, I was like, man, if I could make 5000 that would be insane. And I did. So, how about it, you know? Um, oh no, oh, one of my leaves on my... Oh, my avocado plant's a little withered. Well, that's something that happens in the world. Some of my plants got a little bit... um, One of my housemates was, like, watering them, but I guess maybe the weather was hot or... I don't know. Some of them, like, got a little bit dry, but you know what? That's fucking good. Sometimes they need that and they need to be toughened the fuck up, don't ya? Little avocado plant, been spoiled for the last two and a half years. Or have it... Fuck. And no, it's been two years. Oh, time just flies, things move, and the world shifts apace. So, oh. how about that fucking war in the Ukraine? <laughs> God, do I really have that little to talk about? I was thinking about doing this joke. I don't know if I would. I mean, I won't. It's already the moments passed for it. But to be like you know, the war in the Ukraine and that there was like in the first week, you know, you said that there was like, uh, like 80 casualties. And I just was like, is that it? 80? Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like it's a war and you're expecting you and it's like, everyone's talking about it and it's like a global thing. You're like, oh man, this is going to be really bad. And they're like 80 dead Russian war machine moves forward. And it's like 80 fuck man like i just thought it would be more intense than that i don't know i mean obviously there's 1.6 million refugees so that is quite intense but i just thought more of them would have died <laughs> anyway that's fucking awful um you know what he, I, I i was like i wonder when i'll get to this and i'm getting to it now uh something happened on saturday night that um just made me feel like if if nothing else happened in the whole Adelaide Fringe run, that'd make it all worth it. So I was doing this gig 
uh, at a friend's show, it was like a late night show, and I guess he, I didn't really catch it, but he must have said something that was kind of like, that got the women in the room slightly offside, not even very much, but just like slightly. And so he was backpedaling, you know, and he was really, he was like laying it on thick. He was going like, oh, I support women. I love women or whatever. And me and some mates were at the back of the room going, how funny would it be to go on next and just be like, you know, that guy, Evan, it was Evan Demeray, right? I was like, if, if I go like Evan supports women, I don't support women. I think women are dumb. I hate women. And I was on next. And we were laughing about that idea of like, you know, imagine doing that after he's just backpedaled so much to come on and be like, nope. Um, and so I did it. I went on. And, uh, you know, I, I was just like, I don't think women are smart. I think women are dumb. I think women are stupid. And uh, not obviously not objectively dumb, but just stupider than men. I said those things at the start of my set. I hadn't even done a joke. I didn't lead into it or anything. I just did it. And, uh, you know, obviously the 80 to 100 people in the room, it was a late night show on a Saturday night, but they were fucking still, they were just like, nah, we hate it. I mean, that's good. That's reassuring, isn't it? To know that you can't just say awful things and get laughs. Um, and then I just was in this position where I'm on stage and the first thing I've said is just the most, the, probably the worst thing you can say, one of the worst things you can say. And, um... And then I just had to deal with it. And it was so terrifying to feel the, the audience turn like that or to feel them just be completely against me. There was a moment when I was on stage when I was like, you know what? I could just leave. Like I, for a second, I contemplated like just walking off the stage because I didn't know what to do. And it's a wild thing even just to recount as a story because even as I say it, I'm at pains to say... I mean, do I even have to say that I don't believe those things, you know? Um, and I said them, I mean, I know why I said it, but I kind of, I don't want to be like snide or whatever against my friend because my friend was just saying what he felt he needed to say on stage. But I kind of felt like if... Um, If you guys are going to accept, the, the reason I kind of said it was like, it, f it felt like what Evan was doing was he was scared to um, think about on stage because it's his show. I don't want to say anything bad against against Evan because I, I completely support. Oh my God, look at me now. Back, I'm doing what he did. <laughs> this is it, right? There's a fear when you're on stage and especially it's his show. He's emceeing and he has a huge interest in making sure that the show goes well and people have a good time. So he doesn't want to take risks. So I understand him going like, oh fuck, if I've said anything that's, you know, going to upset people, I've got to make sure that they know that I don't think that. So that's why he's there going, I, I support women, I blah, 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 blah. But as uh, an observer from the back and as, you know, comics that we're just, we just want to see the craziest thing, it, at times can feel like a disappointment to see someone being so risk averse. Having said that, I understand why he's being risk averse, but it's still, it's, you know, a party who wants to see someone go like, ah, fuck this. I don't care what you fucking think. Or if you think I said the wrong thing. And, um, so when I went on, I was just like, you know what? Like, 
if they'll accept that. And, and it also it also felt like the risk that he was avoiding wasn't to say an awful thing. The risk he was avoiding was to not be understood, you know, because if you really examine your feelings around any kind of complicated issue like men and women, they're going to be complicated feelings and they're not cut and dry. And if you start explaining them, there's a very good chance that you're going to be misinterpreted or say the wrong thing and upset someone. They're just difficult things to talk about without upsetting people. Um, but a part of that is also like, well, why are you scared to talk? Like when you see someone who's scared to talk about it and then the audience just go, oh yeah, that's good. It's like, don't we want to talk about this? Isn't this something that everyone always says that we want to talk about? And now you're just accepting someone and we're all ready to accept just like, ah, oh, well, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. We won't talk about it. And I guess I, I think I was going on going like, okay, if you guys will accept that, how much ambiguity will you accept? Will you accept me saying this and still kind of believe, I don't know. Now, you know what? I, I, I think, <laughs> this is what I mean. This is why I loved the feeling of what I did is it's so rich in terms of like things to think about. Like, okay, that's the first thing to think about, the content of what I said, you know, and that that's interesting. But that's not even really what's interesting to me. The interesting thing to me is what happened when I said it, the feeling of the audience turning against me, but then also listening more intently than they did to any other person on the lineup. Like when I said that, they hated me, but they also, every single person in that room, shut up and were looking at me, seeing what I would say next and listening and that is something that might take you, you know, 10 minutes of telling good jokes and fighting in a drunk room on a Saturday night to achieve. And I achieved it in a second just by saying an awful thing. And I've heard stories. It's Stuart Lee, right? Stuart Lee, in his book, How I Escaped My Certain Fate, The Life and Deaths of a Stand-Up Comedian, where he breaks down three of his shows um, from like the mid-2000s. And he talks about how he got to a point after 10 or 15 years of doing stand-up where the only thing that was fun to him was to lose the audience and then try and win them back. And he talks about that in a kind of contemptuous way, like as if that's not a good goal to set out for yourself, that that shouldn't be the reason that you do it. And it's that's true, I think. But when I first read it, I was even sceptical of the idea that you could run out of things to do or that that might be fun, you know? Why would you lose the audience and then get them again? I don't know. There was something about me when I first read it and I just didn't know that much about stand-up that I was sceptical of that idea. How could you possibly lose the audience and then win them back or or just how would that be fun or I bet he wasn't really doing that. And after doing that on Saturday night and feeling them and then I did, like I'd started doing jokes I was like, I'm going to do a joke. And then I did a joke and they laughed. And then I did another joke and they laughed like a little bit more and a little bit more. And I, I understand now, like it's totally possible. And I can absolutely see the thrill in doing that. And even the kind of point of doing it. But you should, what I love about Stuart Lee more so now after having experienced that is that he doesn't, he makes people angry and annoys them in order to get them to listen intently, but he doesn't do it by saying awful things that might hurt people. He does it by <laughs> by seeming to be bad at doing stand-up and seeming so 
seeming so in such a believable way that people sitting in the audience who have paid to be there start thinking that they've wasted their money or that they've been duped somehow and then they get really angry and then he does something that shows them that actually he can do stand-up and that's the game with him back and forth, back and forth is having them constantly questioning whether this guy knows exactly what he's doing or whether he's got no idea whatsoever. And that That's masterful and genius and he does it all without having to say, you know, I think women are stupid, which is not something that I want to say. So, yeah, that was that feeling, man. And I got off and, you know, after seven minutes and um, Michael Schaefer, who's a good friend and someone who I respect immensely as a stand-up, said that was the one of the bravest things he's seen someone do on stage and that meant so much to me. And, uh, I mean, that's how it felt to me. So it was good to have that validated. Also, something that was kind of confusing to me, I don't really understand, but while I sat at the back of the room for the rest of the show, um, two separate women who passed me on the way to the toilets stopped to say, like, you were my favourite. That was so good. Um, Which I guess means that there must have been some understanding in the audience that I didn't, actually mean or believe the thing that I was saying and that's interesting isn't it to ask that question to say something like that in that moment and it's only that moment like I can't that's not something that I can just go on stage and say like there was there was context for it in the room slim context but context nonetheless and um, it's interesting to kind of say that and then do a joke, and then they laugh at the joke, and then go, hey, like, why do you guys reckon I said that? Because you clearly don't, you you don't think that I actually believe it, because if you did think that I believed those things that I said, you would all be walking out right now, if you thought that I was a monster, but you clearly don't, because you're still here, and you're ready to laugh at a silly joke that I've made, so now, with that information, why do you think that I said that, and make people think about what that might mean I don't know it was just it was I I don't know that I've got any more like thoughts on it right now but that experience and it was like waking myself up man because for the last week or so I've been doing the show and I've been um you know (sighs) just trying to get this story to work or trying to figure out what I want to say and um I just can't quite seem to figure it out. Maybe I'll have a go at it again right now. Here's what I'm trying to say. (laughs) I keep doing that in the show as well. I keep trying to ramp up to some sort of like, and here's the point. And I just can't, you know, I got fired from the job. Well, this is the story. This is a story that is sticking out to me at the moment. So the guy who I worked with, there was the boss, 35, and the guy that I worked with, 45. And he'd been a gardener in Turak for like 25 years since he moved to Melbourne when he was 20. Just been a gardener. And me and him were working together like all day. He was the guy that I spent the more time with and did most of the work. And he taught me so much about gardening. He was the one that was kind of teaching me and that I was there with every day. And... One day we're in the ute and we're just finishing up some work at some property and uh, there's a, like a tree branch that's fallen 
on the side of the road, just like, you know, like on the grass strip in front of someone else's house, not the house that we're working on. And some lady who we're not working for comes up. She just lives on the street and she's like, oh, hey, boys. Hey, can you just, um, you know, like that tree branch has fallen down there. Would you mind just grabbing that and just putting that in the back of your truck? And she kind of said it in a way that was like not asking, demanding or like taking it as a given. Like, of course, you guys are going to do it. Um, And she didn't really care that we weren't working for her and that she didn't really care that like we've only got so much room in our truck for rubbish. She was just like, you guys are working. um, And so I'm just going to, you know, tell you what to do. Um, It's quite a subtle like thing but it is you know it's like well if you want that done there's like councils and stuff that do that we're working and we're on our way to another job and that's not our job and you're asking us just to do work but the guy that i was working with smiled and you know put on a smile absolutely no problem and we did it and it's not a huge thing but it's like you know and then we got in the in the ute and i could see that it had kind of annoyed him that he felt disrespected i actually didn't feel that disrespected by it i thought it was fine and we not yeah whatever it didn't really annoy me but we got in the ute and uh he rolled a cigarette and he said man i've given the best years of my life to these people and they speak to me like i'm a piece of shit and that just fucking hit me so hard man because he's, he's been working, like he, you know, he doesn't own a house, he rents and in 10, 15 years, he won't be able to work at all and that's what he's done for his whole working life and uh, that was just this like acknowledgement from him that like I've, gi- he's, I've given my, I've given the best years of my life to these people, that's what he said and it was the these people thing that was like, I guess I've been thinking about class and the, it's not about money. It's not about even really opportunity. It's just about... I, I read a definition of class before and it's when people see each other as equals. Because like, as much as we want to see everyone as equals, you know, when you see some guy whose job it is to like clean toilets, you immediately have a story in your head of what that guy's life is like. And... Well, I do. I'm going to cop to it. I have it when I see someone, you know, doing some bum job that I don't do. And especially if they're older, if they're younger, it's like, oh, maybe they're just doing that job. But if they're older, it's like they're doing that job and, and that's their life. And, you know, they, they probably have like, I don't know, maybe it's even a judgment on their values. Maybe I even go, maybe they have different values to me or what they just they're a different person you know like if i see someone doing that i wouldn't expect to meet that person and invite them over my house and that's a prejudice on my part but that prejudice exists and that's what class is and um i think what made me angry about getting fired was when I made that joke about the guy, I I got fired because of something that I said on my podcast. I was making fun of one of our clients on my podcast who had a $20 million house and he didn't live there and I was making fun of his house and that I thought it was stupid. And I was like, if I had $20 million, I'd build a better house than this, you know? And uh, my boss fired me because he said, you've got a chip on your shoulder. 
and I can hear that. And I think what I resent about that is that what I was doing in saying, uh, you know, making fun of that guy's house was acknowledging that that guy is of a different class to me and a class higher than me in much the same way that someone cleaning toilets. And I really hate to use a specific example because like I've got nothing against anyone who cleans toilets, you know? <laughs> like it's honorable work. It's honorable work to clean a toilet. If you can clean a toilet, you know, you're good by me. There's nothing inherently wrong with cleaning toilet. With cleaning toilet. <laughs> I say it like it's a profession. My father cleaned toilet for 25 years. <laughs> and he never done wrong by no man. There's nothing inherently wrong with, <laughs> with cleaning a toilet for work, you know. But um, it is, it's distasteful work. And if you find yourself having to do that, I guess the question is, ah, uh, there's like a, it's almost like, what have you done to, to have to do that? Surely maybe you've done something wrong. I guess there is that assumption, isn't there? That someone below me in the class system, if they've done that, well, there must have been choices that led to them having to do that because we're all equal. But I think what I'm trying to say is that that assumption is wrong. That, you can do everything possible, make all the right decisions and still end up having to clean a toilet or in my case, you know, having to do gardening for someone, which isn't even bad work, but it's it's clear that the person who told us to move that branch in Turak saw us as below her and um, and that's that's like how our society is set up, that some people, you know, you're born... And some people are just born with more opportunities than other people. And uh, you can make all the right decisions and be a great person and still never be able to achieve having a $20 million house and not even needing to live there. Like having that level of money and security and freedom. And what I was doing by making fun of that guy's house was acknowledging that and acknowledging that I would never have a $20 million house but that I don't need to live in, like having that level of utility, acknowledging it and, and acknowledging that it hurts and that I feel that it's unfair, but I'm not even going to try and change it. I'm not trying to, you know, march on the fucking parliament. I'm just trying to laugh at it. I'm just going, that's, isn't that crazy that that guy gets that and I get this and that's just the way it is. Wow, you know, <laughs> that's funny. That's what I was doing and I got fired for that. My boss fired me for not even trying to change things, not even saying, you know, that I want to burn the guy's house down or that I want to kill him or that he, I, I should fucking be able to take his money. None of that. Just saying it's crazy and I'm trying to laugh at it so that it doesn't make me feel bad forever. And my boss in firing me is basically saying, hey man, that, you're not even allowed to laugh. Not only do you have to accept it, but you have to be grateful for the crumbs, the crumbs that I'm fucking giving you. Yeah. I think that's what I'm trying to say. And then I, <laughs> that's it. It's like, I don't, I don't want to be grateful. I don't think I should have to be grateful. I'll laugh at it 
and I'll say it's fair, and you should say that it's not fair as well. It's not fair. Why don't they say, yeah, it's not fair, <laughs> but, you know, we're not changing it because it works for us. That would be easier to accept than, like, no, we're not going to agree that it's not fair. It is fair. It's like when you, when you fucking say that I'm not allowed to make fun of a fucking rich guy, it's like you're saying he's rich because he deserves to be rich and you could have been that guy, but you made the bad decision, so it's your fault that you're the one cleaning out the swimming pool and it's, and it's fucking your fault that you don't have this house. But that's not true. Not everyone can have that fucking house. Anyway, this sounds like the ranting of someone who absolutely has a chip on their shoulder, doesn't it? This is what I'm trying to talk about in the show. And I guess maybe I should write a joke. <laughs> maybe I should write a joke. Oh, yeah. But yelling about that, I mean, saying an awful thing on stage the other night and feeling an audience hate me. The thing, The thing that I'm finding difficult with the show is I don't quite know how to talk about this stuff in a way that doesn't feel boring that feels engaging that I feel like people will connect with I want to talk about this but I don't know how to make it funny but I keep trying to talk about it and um, you know feeling the audience like steadily over the course of like each <laughs> each point that I try to make their eyes are glazing over and they're looking up at me and I can see them thinking like, oh, God, is this the whole show? <laughs> I can see them just going like, oh, man, we've made a mistake. <laughs> like, the five-star review in the advertiser, like, I don't know what happened. <laughs> he must have fucking bribed someone. <laughs> because they didn't come there to fucking hear me spill my grievances in a very unfunny, serious way about class and finance and money and opportunity. They came there to hear jokes. <laughs> and that's my insecurity in talking about it is I don't want to have people thinking that they've been duped, you know, or that I've taken their money and been dishonest or something. <sighs> I want them to enjoy it but I also want to talk about the thing that I care about. Can I do both at the same time? And the answer to that question after the Adelaide Fringe thus far is no. But it's done now. I'm back. I'm in Melbourne. Oh, God. It's heavy. There's a lot of fucking weight to how I feel about the show right now because it's just not, it's, it's not good enough. It's not as good as I want it to be. And... Um, I'm just fucking hammering my head against the wall. I got a gig tonight. I'm going to try some new stuff. I'm gonna, I'm going to try and not talk about class. <laughs> I'm going to try and talk about something. Ah, uh, you know what? No, nah, that's bullshit. Because I got a new bit about what if the richest person in the world once a year we killed them. Um, that's my new bit, and that's the bit that I'm going to try tonight at the gig that I'm doing. And that kind of is about class. So you know what? Uh, maybe I am talking about class. Maybe I'm never going to stop. Oh, God. How are you guys? You doing okay? Is your week doing good? It's Tuesday, you know? Are you achieving stuff? Do you feel the malaise that I feel? <sighs> Today, I am... What am I looking forward to? Um, so I, I mean, th yeah, this is the other thing. It was like in Adelaide. I think I just got too busy with trying to see people and whatever. On the last day... I uh, 
I bought a copy of 1984. Oh, my God. And here I am saying I'm going to stop talking about class. <laughs> I bought a copy of 1984, which I haven't read in 10 years, I realized. In 2012, I typed out 1984. And, um, like, because my hero at the time was Hunter S. Thompson and he typed out The Great Gatsby. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to type out my favorite book, which was 1984, and I did it. And it was great. I loved it. Um, and I kind of have, like, I think about that all the time because I think about the book because it's such a, you know, it's just, it's in my fucking brain, man. It's like, it's, there's so many things, parallels in the world. And I think about it so often, it's easy to forget that when I did that, that was 10 years ago. Um, so I've been thinking for a while I might reread it and I bought it again and I've started reading it again. And on Sunday, that was when I bought it. I think I just, man, I th I've been, maybe I've been doing the same thing. I think I've been caught up in, you know, work and doing stuff and achieving things and going to the cafe every day and writing and thinking about my show. I haven't really done anything fun for myself in the last few weeks. I went for a drive on Monday, but even that, I just went for a drive. I didn't even go anywhere and barely got out of the car. I just drove away from the city. I was <laughs> desperately like, I got to get away. I'm just going to drive in that direction. And it wasn't even a whole day, you know, I was, I was kind of rushed. So yeah, maybe that's why I've been feeling a little bit tense. Maybe that's why I got on stage and said, I hate women. <laughs> it's because I just haven't given myself any leisure time. <laughs> so I'm... So how funny is that? I didn't give my I didn't go to the beach, and so instead I went on stage and said I hate women. God, that's fucking stupid, isn't it? Um, so today I am going to go to a cafe and I'm going to write a few jokes. Um, I mean, no, that's not no. I'm not going to do leisure today. Today I am working sometime this week. What am I going to do this week? That's for me. I've got to think of something to do this week for me. Because going to a cafe and writing and then doing reading a bit of 1984, that's not for me. What am I going to do? Oh, on Thursday night, I'm going to cancel the gig that I've got on and me and my housemates are going to hang out at home. That's what I'm going to do for me. And maybe on Thursday day, I'll do something else for me. You know what I'm going to do, actually? I'm going to Sydney next weekend, like in, in like... 10 days or whatever. So I might on Thursday, yeah, I'm going to go shopping and I'm going to buy myself a new shirt. And then I'm going to ride my bike out to one of those nice cafes, yeah, that I've been reading about and I'm going to get a nice meal and I'm going to read 1984 and I'm not going to open my book or do any work. I'm just going to read in a nice cafe and have brunch. <gasps> and then I'm going to buy a shirt. That's what I'm going to do on Thursday. Yes. Yes. I deserve to be in a nice place. That's what I need. That's great. I'm excited. What am I going to do today? Today, I'm going to go to the shops after I do this and do a bit of grocery shopping. <sighs> the, uh, fuck, the um, picture... For this week, 
is uh, the mall's balls are people taking pictures of these fucking guys <laughs> in front of the mall's balls. Man, on Saturday nights in Adelaide, I actually really enjoy Saturday night at the Adelaide Fringe. Um, after all my shows, walking back to my mum's place and walking through Hindley Street and seeing all the shit. This Saturday, I saw a fight. I saw a bunch of young dudes, like probably like 10, 12 dudes kind of in embroiled in this fight they were like pushing each other one of them tripped another guy and there weren't any real like punches thrown but it got broken up by four police on horseback and they came over and just stood their horses in front of them it's so crazy seeing someone get spoken to (laughs) by horses i actually saw another one i was at the front of a venue of my venue in adelaide of the producers and um I saw a car get pulled over by horses. It was driving along Grenfell Street and then the horses like signaled to it and then the car had to do a right turn, pull into a side street and the horses crossed the road and like surrounded the car (laughs) and the driver like got out of the car and was standing next to the horse looking up at the cop sitting on the horse and the cop was telling him, oh fuck, that was so funny. Oh, you know what we saw yesterday? Man, I drove home from Adelaide yesterday. I didn't drive, Ivan drove with I drove home with uh the amazing Ivan Aristagueta. Or if that is too hard for you to pronounce, you can just call me Aristagueta. <laughs> um, yeah, we drove home from Adelaide and there was one point we it was such a nice drive, man. We got breakfast around the corner from my mum's place. Jumped in the car, stopped at the Keith Bakery, got, I had a lovely pie, Ivan had a sausage roll, I had a milk, chocolate milk, fuck yeah. But one point on the, um, on the road, and it's like a, you know, it's one lane each way, sometimes there's overtaking lanes. And there was a fucking car behind us that was just going so fast. Ivan said he was driving, like, and there was no one behind him. And then he looked at the road for a bit, looked in the mirror again, and there was someone behind him. Like, that's how fast the car was going. Overtook us, not in the overtaking lane, just in the in the single each way lane, which is like, and it was dotted line, but it's still kind of dangerous. And then by the time they got back into our lane, it was double white line. So really dangerous. And they were just fucking hooning, man. They were going like one. Th- they must have been going like one thirty. Um. And look, I w- I will say that in two thousand and fourteen, I got pulled over for speeding on the road from Sydney back to Melbourne. I was doing like one hundred and twenty six, and the cop pulled me over and said that was some of the worst driving I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and I had two mates in the car. Um, it wasn't even my car, and I was fucking so embarrassed and humiliated and whatever. So I understand going fast, whatever. We all make mistakes. We do stupid shit. But this fucking loser drove up, overtook the like five or six cars that were together, that, that we were at the back of. And then immediately, I, th- I guess there was a police motorbike at the front of our little convoy that you couldn't see until you got to the front. Because this guy sped all the way to the front and then like another minute later pulled over to the side very quickly and there was a police motorbike pulled over with him. (laughs) He was getting pulled over for speeding. Oh my God, it was like instant karma, man. Me and Ivan were like, oh yes, 
we talked about him when he went past and we were like, oh, what a dickhead. Like it was kind of, you know, it was enough for us to mention it and be like, oh, he's going quick. Fuck. That's fucked. And then, yeah, when he got pulled over, we were just, oh my God, it was so perfect. Ah. <sighs> All right, I think that might be the podcast for this week, hey? Um, what's the name of the podcast for this week? Just, I don't know. It's not, maybe it's not quite there. I want to do, no, it's like a retrospective, Adelaide retrospective. That's what it is. I'm talking about Adelaide and, and doing a retrospective on the thing. I don't want to put what I said <laughs> in the title <laughs> because there's every chance that people could just get angry at that. Um, I do want to reiterate that I got, you know, I shouldn't even need to say it. I feel stupid. I got no problem with women. I am in a way I kind of regret, I don't regret doing what I did, but I, I don't want to have to say that to get the reaction. I want to figure out a way to get the reaction that I got of people hating me, of people turning against me without having to say something, you know, awful that I don't want to have to keep repeating but anyway that's for me to figure out um this has been aiden jones thank you guys for listening uh if you've liked the podcast five stars on itunes please give it a share like the instagram sitting on the podcast and if you're in melbourne buy tickets to the melbourne comedy festival it's coming up the shot it got five stars i don't think it's good <laughs> but it got five stars it's good it's good it's just not great um, if you're in Sydney, get tickets for that too. Fuck, whatever. Thank you guys for listening. This has been Aiden Jones, sitting under a tree. Peace. <laughs>